TripAdvisor. Nehemiah, part two. We preached uh, Nehemiah part one last week. <clears throat> you remember all the road trips that you had as a kid? We talked about that a little bit last week. I remember the road trips that I had, and a uh, couple in particular. And we used to travel some with my aunt and uncle, and they had two children. It was my cousins, my first cousin, and uh, uh, it was my mom and dad and myself. And uh, on occasion, we would take these road trips with their pop-up trailer. Do you know what a pop-up trailer is? Well, we had to figure out a way to put seven people in that pop-up trailer at night in the summer and do this camping thing. And it was a lot of fun as I was a kid. And I didn't suffer the heat and those kind of things, but I remember going to Red Rock Canyon. Anybody ever hear of that? State Park, Oklahoma, okay. How many of you ever heard of Romano State Park? We'd go to Romano State Park and battle the rattlesnakes and the gypsum rock. But it was a lot of fun. And uh, anyway, but there just wasn't a lot of room. And Nehemiah didn't even have a pop-up camper, okay? But he made a road trip. He, Nehemiah is the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, okay? One of Nehemiah's brothers shows up to give Nehemiah a visitation, or, 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 and they're in the middle of conversation, and the brother brings up the fact that the walls of Jerusalem, where his ancestors are from, they've been torn down. The gates of the city have been burned. The city where his ancestors are buried is in shambles. Nehemiah is devastated. He went into crying, to praying, to fasting, he was in a state of mourning at that time when he found out the situation. But Nehemiah doesn't just hear it. He decides to do something about it. And he gets, his, gets favor with King Artaxerxes. He travels to Jerusalem, and he's going to see if he can make something happen. You know, there are some times that I preach sermons, and I think they're just sermons, Okay. But tonight I'm preaching a message that I really believe is for everybody, okay? You know, you like to think that they're all good and they're for somebody. I think this one's for everybody, all right? Listen very carefully. Number one, let's jump right in. Nehemiah has vision. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 1, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine, and this is Nehemiah taking the wine. He was his cupbearer. I took the wine, and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. Can you imagine? That's a pretty good testimony, is it? He was never sad in the presence of his boss. Hmm, kind of interesting. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad? And when you're not ill, this can be nothing but sadness of heart. And I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, 
And if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Wow. (laughs) Have you ever seen the walls of the city of Jerusalem? Pictures? Maybe you've been there. I know Jerry and Donna have probably been there. It's huge. But Nehemiah could have looked at the situation. We heard it from his brother and said, oh, that's very sad for them. He didn't say, oh, wow, it's going to be a big job building that city back, and it'll probably never happen. He said, I have a vision to make it happen. What a huge undertaking by one man. And I want to start tonight by addressing us personally. Do you have a vision for your life? Or is your life pushing you in a direction that you are in a position that you just want to survive? Most people, to be honest, most people are living day to day. And when they wake up in the morning, they say, well, whatever comes my way, I'll just handle it. Wouldn't it be nice to have a vision for our lives that we could wake up and say, that's where I want to be in five years. And in five years, that's exactly where you're going to land. I know there's some things that aren't going to happen in our, they're going to happen in our lives that cause us to make adjustments. Okay? Sometimes it's a guessing game, but we can all wake up, every one of us and say, "I'm still headed toward the goal." If we'll just get a vision, it doesn't matter what happens in our life, I'm still headed toward the goal. Are we making life happen or is life making life Miserable for you. Old MacDonald. (laughs) I was at a funeral one time, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, you know, just paying my respects and being as humble as I can. It was right after Christmas, and I had my Nokia phone set on Jingle Bells. And right in the middle of the funeral, Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells, not... Anyway, so I can, I sympathize. Where was I? Things happen in life, okay? Things happen in life. There are three kinds of things that happen in life. The first kind of thing that happens in life are things that are beyond our control. Somebody name me one thing that is beyond your control. Say it again. I'm so glad you said weather. I used to pray for the weather, but it didn't work very well for me, you know. But the weather's something that can't, we can't control. Who knew the tornadoes were going to strike uh, more Oklahoma and destroy the better part of the city and so many lives would be lost and all those kids in those, those uh, uh, school rooms would drown, basically, because of that calamity. And nobody could control it. You can have the best weather forecasters in the world. You can have Gary England. You can have whoever you want to be the weather forecaster, but they just can't control it, okay? That's right. Some things you can't control. You can't control death, can we? That's not our job. We can't do that. We pray against it and all those things, but ultimately that's God's decision. And those things, weather and death, can affect your life, and they can affect your plan, can't they? 
Number two, there are things that are somewhat out of my control. You know anything that's somewhat out of your control? How about your health? Somewhat out of your control. You can eat right. You can exercise. You can get the right rest. You can take vitamins. You can do all of those things that are important to stay healthy. But then you read in the paper that a 38-year-old marathon runner falls over dead in his house with a heart attack. That's encouraging. Fall over dead with a heart attack at 38 years old and as a marathon runner. I'm going to go eat a burger. <laughs> I'm going to get a burger. As a matter of fact, I think I'll eat one every day. But those are things that are somewhat under your control. Somewhat. And then the third thing are things that we can completely control. We can control our behavior. We can control our choices. We can control our attitude. We can control our reactions to people. We can control our responses. But Nehemiah took the things he could do and the vision that he believed that God was giving him and he took the risk to live the life that he felt that God was giving me. That's exciting. That's real living. When we really take that vision and purposely live it, would that all of us would be doing this. Living a vision that you are making happen in your life. Number two, everyone has a place. Everyone has a place of ministry. Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem. He finds that what his brother has told him is true. The gates are burnt. The walls are torn down. The city is scorched. Now, when I'm reading the book of late Nehemiah, I tend to skim through chapter 3. Okay? It's kind of like the book of Leviticus. That book is a total skim for me. I know its importance. I get it. But when I get there, it's like, Okay, I'll just hit the high spots here. Chapter 3 in Nehemiah is a total skim for me. But I, I wanted to go ahead and read the entire chapter tonight, but like I said, it's a skim. And I thought I'd get you bored, but I'm going to make a point. In chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, <clears throat> Eliashib, the high priest and his fellow priests, went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place building as far as the Tower of a Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel, the men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Emery, built next to them. And on and on and on. And it continues on and on and on. Here's my point. Did you notice all those people that Nehemiah mentioned? In the first two verses there. What's he trying to do? What he's trying to do is tell all of us that everyone mattered. Everybody mattered. 
This doesn't say, yeah, Nehemiah, look what he did. He took the time to mention every name, every tribe, every, even the ancestry. He wanted to make sure that they were all mentioned to, the point out, to point out that these people are the ones who made it happen. What are you saying, Pastor? We all have a place in the church. We all have a place in the ministry. And we all have a place in life. Your life matters. Nobody is equipped just like you. God had something in mind when you were born. None of us here are accidents. I don't know if your mom and dad planned it, but God planned it. Not all service is fun. Not all service and ministry is glamorous. Here we go. More in Nehemiah 3 and 14 if you want to skim down, if you want to look up here. Nehemiah 3 and 14. Listen to this. The dung gate was repaired. Somebody took the job of heading up the repair of the dung gate. It was repaired by Malkijah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim. He rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Hey, you guys over there on the sheep gate and the gate of a hundred. We're building over here. We're real building the dung gate. Why don't y'all come over and help us? Not a lot of glamour there. You see, the dung gate was a gate where they took all the refuge out. They took all the garbage out that particular gate. But there was a guy that says, that's not beneath me. There's no job beyond me. I'm going to help. And I don't know how many people he got to come and assist him, but I'm sure he didn't do it all by himself. But if he did, I bet that guy has a special crown in glory working on Dungate. I remember being in service at First Assembly of God in Phoenix, Arizona. Pastor Tommy Barnett just preached his guts out. He was dynamic. Crowd of 5,000 there. It was tremendous. And, and at the end of his servant, sermon, he was giving a, kind of a public service announcement that they needed some help. Apparently, one of the bus drivers in their bus ministry was not going to be able to do his route the next Saturday. So he appealed to this crowd of 5,000 people for one bus driver to drive one route for one Saturday afternoon. And when he did it, it got quiet. And he just waited for somebody to respond. And it took so long that it began to be uncomfortable. And finally, Pastor Barnett looked over to the bus ministry pastor and said, Brother, I'll drive the bus. I'll be there. And he walks off. 5,000 people and could not get one person to volunteer for one Saturday, for one bus, for one bus When Pastor Brogdon was still alive, we know he's real sick. So I planned a direct mail. 
to 5,000 people in our community. We targeted through zip code one area, okay, one area. And after the direct mail went, uh, went out, we took four weekends to go knock on those 5,000 doors. I could have stayed home, okay? But my wife and I showed up all four weeks, knocking on the doors. Just did. It's not beneath us. Number three, you will face opposition in whatever your vision is. By the way, when you have a vision in your life or in your church or in your ministry, not everybody's going to like it. I don't get that. But not everybody's going to like the vision. Nehemiah 4, 1 through 5 says, When Sanballat, what a name, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding, he became very angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? And for whatever reason, I left out a particular portion of that scripture, and it says, and look what they're doing, basically. If a fox walks across that wall, it'll fall down. And here's Nehemiah's prayer to God when he hears about this. He said, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all of their heart. Nehemiah is taking his anger to God in that prayer. That's a great idea. You get angry, somebody makes you mad, take it to God. It seems like when we try to face it and go to head to head with it, you know, and have that confrontation, we mess it up. Nehemiah decided, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take time to do that. I'm taking my anger to God, and I'm going to let him know about it. He prayed a vicious prayer. Look at it. He prayed a vicious prayer. He trusted God, though, to do what he saw fit. God didn't do all those things that Nehemiah asked God to do. But what did Nehemiah do? He got it out of his heart. Took it to God, and he just got it out of his heart. Good thing. What do you do when you continue to face opposition? Here's what you do. You continue giving it to God. You continue working. You keep your head down and you continue in the direction that God pointed and set out for you. When you have a vision for your life or for your church, you will face 
what these men faced. They faced ridicule. They faced prejudice. Sanballat called them feeble Jews. He mocked their beliefs. These guys had made sacrifices. They had done everything they could with all their heart, with all their energy, and they're mocking their beliefs. They'd made sacrifices for this on an altar to God. They mocked the quality of the work. It wouldn't stand if a fox walked across it. Here's the thing we don't need to do in life. We don't need to get defensive. We need to be God's children and continue with the vision that God has given us. Be the men and women of God and just stay with it. We've got to learn, number four, to overcome unhealthy distractions. Nehemiah 6, 1 through 4. When the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Oh no. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messages to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Nehemiah was telling them, I've got something bigger to you do than listen to you whine about what God's already told me to do. That was a statement about passion, about intent, purpose, about what kind of heart he had. Nehemiah was not going to let these distractions foil what he was called to do. You know, we are so consumed in America about self-image, self-esteem. And every day, if you'll let yourself listen on TV, on radio, in the papers, in magazines, whatever, you're going to read about self-esteem. Hooey. Why do we care what anybody else thinks? Why do we? Let me ask you this. What gets an unhealthy response out of you? Anybody? Say it again. Lying. I'll tell you what gets an unhealthy. Uh, and by the way, if you don't know what gets an unhealthy response out of you, ask your husband or ask your wife. They'll tell you. Okay? Here's my unhealthy response. You can get it out of me. That is because other people don't drive like I do. <laughs> she said, <laughs> see there? Sitting at a traffic light the other day. It was busy traffic, you know. I think it was down near 51st and 169 and all that uh, mess they've got going on. But the traffic was deep at the stoplight. And I think it was about the fourth car back, you know. And here's a good idea for all of us. When the light turns green, go. 
just go. It's not hard, not rocket science, just go. Well, <laughs> I'm fourth guy back. I'm sitting there, and I'm, light turns green. person up in the front decides they're not going to go. I have a feeling that they probably had their, their phone down here and sending a text message or, you know, surfing the web or whatever they were doing there at the table. But I sat there patiently. And the only reason I sat there patiently is because the horn on my truck doesn't work. But nobody else honked either. I'm shocked. Very courteous people. They just sat there. And about the time that the light turned green, they decided to look up from their phone or whatever they were doing and take off. One car made it to where it was headed. Just annoys me. I'm sorry. People at the cash register in the self-serve lines at the grocery store. This lady was in front of me. She had the right number of things and whatnot. But when she got everything scanned, when she got everything paid, there was a person standing there that apparently knew her, and they stood there and had a conversation. Literally for about three or four minutes while I'm standing there wanting to scan my items, which mounted about a stick of gum and a pop. And I couldn't get through. And I didn't want to be a jerk and mouth off, but they broke up the conversation just before I became a jerk. Hot buttons. I've got them, okay? When you get criticized in the middle of what you're doing and you give heed to it, here's what happens. You lose all of your motivation. You lose your energy and you lose your focus. When you become stymied about what other people are saying in criticism about what you're trying to accomplish. You lose momentum, you lose your energy, you lose your focus. And if you lose those things, your vision's not going to be fulfilled. And when this happens, what do we do? Here's what we need to do. Those things happen, you need to say, whatever. I don't care what you think. I'm moving on. I'm singular of focus and vision. We're going to continue to do what God tells us to do. I'm going to do what God tells me to do. You're going to do what God tells you to do. And He will be our judge, not you. And number five, and finally, the work is completed. Nehemiah 6.15 So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. That's amazing to me. And then he says, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that the work that had been done was with the help of our God. You know, when you keep your hand to the plow and you keep getting up morning after morning, showing up day after day until the job is completed, when you live with the purpose of God, when you live with the vision of God, when you live with the plan of God, good things are going to happen. 
Let God do the talking for the success you have achieved. Because when they see it done, they know that it was too big for you alone. There had to be the supernatural involved. And it was not you that accomplished it. You were God's hand, but it was God that did it all along anyway. What do I want you to take away? I want us all to always live with a vision. And I'm talking about your personal life. Live with a vision. Maybe you need to take a little time to really concentrate. Take a couple of months and figure out with God. Let God help you to figure out what the vision is for your life, for your family. Where do you want to be in five years? When you wake up in the morning, do you want to live on purpose about what you, where you want to be in five years? Just a thought. Maybe you've never been challenged about something like that until today. Maybe you need to take those months and begin to re-stir your spirit. What's my life supposed to look like, God? Number two, you need to keep believing even when others don't. We don't need to live to prove anything to anybody else. We need to live for something of our own. Number three, stay focused. Think about this. What if Nehemiah would have listened to Sambalot? and got distracted because of the criticism, got distracted because Sanballat wanted him to come and meet him while he was in the middle of the job, he would have lost his focus. He would have lost what he was doing. What if Nehemiah lost his focus? I don't think the job would have gotten done. Number four. Begin with the end in mind. What do you mean by that? You're going to build the house, okay? How many have built a house before? A few, yeah. A few people built houses. Never fence. Got to have a plan, don't you? If you're going to build a pole barn house, and that's all the rage now I hear, pole barn houses, they're very simple, very cheap. You don't have to put all of your savings into your house that you're living in, okay? And people are choosing to live this way. If you're going to build something like that, you don't need a real complicated plan, but you do need a plan, don't you? Whereas if you're going to build a 6,000-square-foot home, you know, somewhere over here in South Tulsa, you need a little bit more of a detailed plan than if you're going to build a pole barn, Right? All I'm telling you is, if your vision is big, you need a detailed plan. If your vision's small, you don't need a detailed plan, but you do need a plan, okay? Here's the deal with Americans today. Maybe, maybe 99% of us, we have a vision so small that it would never even take God to accomplish it. What we need to have in our personal life and in our church life is a vision so big that when it's accomplished, it could have only been God. 
And the last thing I want to say in your vision, in your plan, you need to get God involved with it. Let Him hold your hand. Let Him walk with you when you're thinking. When I'm studying this week, I was about to shout. what God can do with people when you tell Him to do it. I have a vision, just a singular vision right now, just a part of it for this church, okay? Just one little thing, one little thing, and it can only be accomplished with all of us, okay? It's the only way it's going to be done because that's what I've asked God. Include all of us in this singular thing, okay? This is all I'm asking. I want to get down here where I can see you. Just one thing. I want you to duplicate yourself this year in this church. That's it. That's all I'm asking. Dana and I will take on the vision. We'll take that one step. That's doable, folks. It really is if we'll be serious about it. Okay? You know, if we got this synergy going here of, hey, let's duplicate ourselves, if we did that, we're able to accomplish that. You know how exciting that would be at the end of that year? Some went with honor. Four and a half. 150%. Nick and Taylor, here's your friends, Allison and Adam, and Elijah. Can't forget Elijah. She calls me Papa. That was last year, though. Can't continue to be looking back. We all failed. first became your pastor, I preached a series of messages called Moneyball. How many of you have seen Moneyball? One, two. Dana was forced to see it. Okay. And it's all about what you can do when you don't have money. And it talks about the Oakland A's and how they were the lowest payroll in baseball. And they made it to the World Series where they had faced a juggernaut of the billion-dollar New York Yankees. And yet it beat them. No, it wouldn't be the World Series. It would be the American League Finals. And if those of you who knew baseball, you'd applaud that, I guess. All we had and all we still have other, we need to love our community, we need to love our neighbor, and my neighbors are not going to die. That's my challenge. 
people on there, this big vision, big vision. Right now, right now, maybe you lay out one part of it for me, Kirk. Okay? Duplicate yourself. Challenge yourself with these things. What result are you? God's not here to pat you on the back. I know that. Okay? But stand for him. Folks, we don't talk about these kind of things in church circles and things because it gets way too scientific. But the truth of the matter is it's a mathematical equation. Every church loses 20% of its people every year. Every year. To grow, you pretty much have to grow by 40%. That's just doing large and growing churches, they understand that math. They understand that principle. Okay? You remember the uh, the cross we had here and the narrative where these names get, that's where Jim and Gabby were because of that. And, and uh, Allison and Adam as well. That whole push, the program, was because that I met with a church consultant for two days. And he showed me some principles. He laid down the math for me. He said, if you want to grow, you've got to keep adding. Because people are going to leave because they're angry. They're going to leave because they get mad. Some are going to die. And on and on and on down the road. Okay? And the greatest evangelists in the world are the people that are sitting in the chairs of our churches. Okay? 85% of everybody that comes to the church was influenced by a friend or relative. That's the math. Okay? Me, I came to church because I was born into these things. I didn't have a choice. (laughs) Yeah, but you know what I'm saying. Would you catch my vision? I guess I'm vision casting. I hate that word, but I'm vision casting. Just duplicate yourself on the mountain. Do it however you want to do it. Pay them, get them there, you know, whatever. No kidding, and I'm going to tell you a brief story, and I'll let you go, okay? We had a kid that came to our our Bible school, our vacation Bible school when I was in uh, Oklahoma City. And uh, we promised that we would give a $20 bill to the person that brought the most guests. Well, the kid that won brought like 20 kids, and he had promised each of them 50 cents if they'd come with him. He did the math, <laughs> and he knew he was going to profit on that deal. You know, We're not going to do that. We know that. We're not going to give away a pony or anything like that, okay? I'm just asking you to have an influence on your neighbors, your coworkers, your brothers, your sisters, moms, dads, whoever. And I'm going to believe God's going to lay someone on your heart that you're going to influence. This raises up leaders in the church. They'll step forward and say, I can do that. 
Heavenly Father, I pray that right now the Spirit of God would just surround us and tell us we're here. Father, thank you for a beautiful congregation of people tonight, that their heart is with the church, their heart is with you. Lamb of God, that you're surrounding them and you're embracing them and you're, you're loving them. Lamb of God, I pray that that love would exude so much that they would want to have an impact on other people's lives. Lord, I know that there are people out there that are searching for something real. They're searching for somewhere to belong. They're looking for love of which we have plenty. Lamb of God, I pray that your hand would just move and minister and touch. Let us live the vision. Let us wake up every morning with our heart and pray for it. And Lord, I pray for everybody's individual vision in this church. That Father, every day that they're pointing out there, this is where I want to be in five years. Spiritually, financially, emotionally, relationally, whatever that is. And Lamb of God, if they live that on purpose, I know they'll accomplish. Father, we love you and we give you the honor and we give you all the praise because you're worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. July 21st, okay? 2019. We have a year. Be prepared, son. Okay? God bless you. I love you. Can't wait to see you again next Saturday.